morning again. Let me pray before we come to God's Word. Heavenly Father, thank you that your words to us are spirit and life. And Father, we pray that you would open our minds and our hearts and our lives to receive your word. Please, would they not fall on hard uh, ground this morning, but rather on good soil and grow up and produce a harvest a hundredfold for your glory. Amen. There's a saying that Christian ministry is about two things. It's about loving God and loving people. You've got to love God and his word and theology and all that. But you've also got to love people, precious souls made in the image of their creator. You've got to love people, people who are similar to you, but also people who are different to you. People who you get on with naturally, but you've also got to love people who you don't get on with so naturally. Now, sometimes you come across Christians who really love one, but not so much the other. So some people might really love, you know, theology and uh, studying the Word and all that, and teaching the Bible. It's just that they're not so hot on the people side of things don't like people very much. Or, on the other hand, you might get people who love people. They get on with people great. Just that they're not so good on the theology side of things, the knowledge of God. Now, unsurprisingly, to be effective in Christian ministry, you need both. You need to love God, and you need to love people. And why that's relevant for all of us today is because, as you know, our ethos at Lionsdown is the Christian minister isn't just the guy leading the church. No, the Christian ministers are every single Christian believer in the church family. We're all ministers if we're trusting in Jesus as we seek to make disciple makers. Now, I think the Apostle Paul has a pretty bad reputation uh, unfair reputation for being really hot on the loving God side of things, but maybe not so good on the people side of things. But I think that's grotesquely unfair to charge Paul with that, especially if you read something like 1 Thessalonians, because that caricature of Paul, that he loves God and not people, is completely blown out of the water, because what comes shining through this letter as he writes to these young baby Christians, is his unquenchable passion for God, yes, of course, but his unquenchable passion for people and those he's writing to. How he, he burns with uh, a concern for others' spiritual well-being. And it's that passion for people that drove Paul to pray. And I just want us to learn from that ourselves this morning. That's why we're here today in the prayer that we find in 1 Thessalonians. As we think about prayer and a passion for people, that's our title uh, this morning. What I want us to see is this. I've tried to sum it up in, in one sentence. Apparently you're supposed to get it into less than 10 words, but I don't know how many words that is. But let's see how we go. What I want us to see today is that it's as we grow in our passion for people 
that we'll grow in our passion for prayer. And we get just a glimpse of Paul's passion for people in verse 8 of our passage. It's the key verse. I've put it at the top of your talk notes. Just have a look down. Verse 8. Paul says some remarkable words. He says, For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. This is an extraordinary statement of Paul. Do you, do you hear how he's so passionately concerned about these believers that his life, his happiness, his, his well-being is, is tied up in their spiritual well-being? See, if they are standing firm in the Lord Jesus, then his life is kind of complete. But if they're wandering away from him, then he's absolutely distraught and heartbroken. You see, Paul's ministry wasn't sort of cold and detached and professional. No, it was warm and personal and passionate for people. And I think this is partly due to the history that we find um, between Paul and the Thessalonian church. Um, as we read around the letter, um, we, we discover these things. Firstly, Paul had preached the gospel to them, and the church was born. And you can read more about that in um, Acts chapter 17, if you want to do that later. But, so he, he preached the gospel to them, people believed in the Lord Jesus. But then fierce persecution had arisen, which kind of tore him away from his ministry to the Thessalonians. He had to kind of run away. <laughs> he had to abandon. And he tried to, so many times to, to, to go back to the Thessalonians and be with them again and teach them and encourage them, but he wasn't able to. And he says how Satan just kept on preventing him returning. So eventually, Paul says, you know, he was so racked with anxiety and concern for them that he even sent his right-hand man, Timothy, to go to the Thessalonians and find out how they were doing in the faith. Now, that must have been quite a sacrifice for Paul, isn't it? You lose your right-hand man. He must have been very useful. But he sends Timothy. So concerned was he for them. And he was overjoyed to hear from Timothy a really encouraging report that the Thessalonians were indeed standing firm in the Lord. That's why Paul says these words, now we live if you are standing firm, fast in the Lord. A passion for people. You know, I think this is a word to us here at Lionsdown. You know, we rightly emphasize the prayerful preaching and teaching of the Word of God as central to our ministry, absolutely. But, you know, the people that make up the church aren't kind of incidental or accidental to all that. In fact, it's the relationships that we have with one another which form the arena in which we're to live out the Word of God. We are the arena in which we're to, to live out our faith with one another. People matter too. And so we want to be praying, mustn't we, that not only our passion for God's word grows, but that our passion for people also grows. And that those two things together will fuel our prayer life. 
what does Paul pray? Well, in this passage, I want to draw out quickly just four big things that uh, he prays for them and that we can be praying for one another here at Lionstown. The first one is on your sheets. Number one, thanksgiving for others. This is verse 9. Paul says, For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God? Do you notice who Paul is thanking? It's not the Thessalonians. He's not saying to them, Oh, thanks so much for believing my message and becoming Christians. It's so kind of you. He doesn't say that at all. No, he says, I thank God for you because he rightly recognizes that it's God who, is the, who has saved them. It is God who sovereignly saved them by his grace. So he wants all the glory and praise and thanksgiving to go to God. Now, when we come to pray for others, particularly our, our church family, I think it's a great way to start by thanking God for other people, for, for God's work in them. Now, since by his grace we're a pretty large group, you could just start by thanking God for those who you live with, or um, with a prayer triplet, something like that, and then maybe expand to, to praying for your vineyard table and, and kind of on from there. As I was thinking about Thanksgiving, it made me reflect a little bit. And um, in church life, um, if you end up in any kind of leadership role or, or, or serving others um, for any length of time, I've, I've noticed that after a while, it's really tempting to begin to only see problems, to only see the deficiencies in the group or, or in particular individuals. And that can kind of start a slightly downward spiral of thanklessness and joylessness in service. And service becomes quite begrudging. But I think thanksgiving is a powerful tool to break that cycle. Because what we're doing when we're thank giving thanks to God is that we are recognizing his good work in others especially those that maybe we find more challenging to get on with. And as a collection of sinners working together, that's going to happen from time to time. But it's when we start giving thanks to God for others, for his work in other people, particularly those that we find more challenging to love, that actually um, the devil's schemes are broken. See, the devil would love to get in and amongst us and sort of break our our relationships. And thanksgiving is a powerful way to disarm him. So in our prayers, let's be thanking God for others. Secondly, let's be um, praying for encouraging fellowship. This is verses 10 and 11. So Paul continues, as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may God, our Father himself, and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. Do you remember Paul had been torn away from his ministry to the Thessalonians? And he longed to see them again, to kind of be with them, to, to see them face to face. Was that just to kind of enjoy each other's company? Well, I'm sure that was part of it. But it went much deeper than that. Do you see? He, he was wishing to supply what was lacking in their faith. In other words, Paul wanted to be with them 
so that he could encourage them in the gospel. He wanted to strengthen them and build them up in the faith. You know, for us, do we put the same kind of value that Paul does on Christian fellowship, being with other Christians? Do we long, like Paul, to to be with fellow believers? Do we put the highest value on it? Meaning that other lesser things in the week kind of take second place to that. Um, And it kind of affects our diaries and the way we plan our time. Rather than thinking, oh, I'll go to church if there's nothing better on, we realize there is nothing better on than being with my brothers and sisters in Christ. I need them, and they need me. I need them to encourage me, because I'm not strong on my own, and they need me to encourage them. You know, sometimes we can't be there in person, can we? And that's quite normal. But let's make the best use of the tools that God has given us, like Zoom and other things like that, to even if we can't be there face-to-face, at least we're using every means possible to, to be with one another and encourage one another. You know, again, the devil loves to interfere with this. Um, you ever notice this? Um, he'll often, before a church event or meeting... He'll often make sure that we had a really lousy day at work or just be so cripplingly tired that it feels almost impossible to get off the sofa and get in the car and go to church or just kind of forget the joy of Christian fellowship uh, or bring up a million and one better reasons, uh, better, better things that we could do, more urgent things that we could do with our time than, than be with other Christians. The list goes on. We've, we've, uh, I've, Elf and I have talked about this, but often we find Sunday morning is a particular focus of attack and how it'll often make us all really grumpy <laughs> with one another. And uh, we kind of come into church going, but if you only knew what the morning looked like. That's, that's to be expected. But you know, what I found is that when we, when we don't feel like going, but we go anyway, God often blesses that so much, and we come away going, I'm so glad I went. I'm so glad I went. You know, there was one time when I was a uh, first-year student coming up to exam time, and uh, at my, my student church, there was a regular Wednesday night Bible study, which we used to go to, and, and uh, well, I, I thought, well, there won't be any fourth years here, because it's exam time, and as you know, fourth years will have their, not just finals, but final finals, you know. And the guy who was leading the Bible study was a fourth year, so I thought, oh, we probably won't be here tonight. But he was. Uh, John Carter. <laughs> what a boy. He <laughs> was great. But he was there. He was leading the Bible study. And, uh, and I said to him, when's your exam? And he said tomorrow morning. I said, I, I, I just couldn't get my head around that. You know, you've got your final, final, finals tomorrow morning, and, and you're here. And he said something like, well, some things are more important. And, you know, that made just such an impression on me as, as a first-year student. I thought, wow, here's a guy who really valued Christian fellowship. Encouraging others and being, being encouraged. 
So let's be praying that our church would put the highest value on encouraging fellowship. Thirdly, let's be praying for increasing love. Increasing love. This is verse 12. Paul continues to pray, And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, as we do for you. You know, love is one of the defining characteristics of being a Christian. Especially love for one another, as it says in the verse. A love for other Christians, especially within our own church family. Remember, Jesus said, By this all men will know that you are truly my disciples, if you have love for one another. Now, that love is shown in a myriad of ways. It's, it's not just feelings of affection, although we know from 1 Thessalonians that it included that, definitely. But it's more than just feeling affectionate. Love, there's, there's a practical side to love, isn't there? There's, there's the whole thing of hospitality and provision and uh, cooking a meal and generosity and giving time to people when you haven't got any time. And, of course, praying for others, too. But did you notice uh, Paul added the phrase, not just love for one another, but for all, and for all, he says? And I wonder if it's saying that, yes, we have a special love for our church family, but that love isn't constrained by the four walls of the church, if I can put it that way. It's a love that reaches out as well, and for all. So, so we're to have a love for all, including non-Christians. And the way that we can love them, of course, to the highest degree, is by sharing the good news of Jesus with them. That's the most loving thing we can do for someone who doesn't know him. So they can be saved and know him too. Again, I've been reflecting on this, and I, I think it's easy, once you've been a Christian for a while, maybe even a couple of decades, to begin to, you know, when you, when, you, when you start off as a Christian, you're really hungry to grow and to change. But then as time goes on, it's really easy to plateau and to kind of become really um, comfortable with the status quo, with how we are. And, and I think that's true, too, when we think of growing in love. Because you think, well, I, I'm okay. <laughs> and that desire to keep on gr- increasing and abounding in love for one another um, is, is kind of dulled. But I wonder if this is calling us to have a kind of godly dissatisfaction with plateauing as a Christian. That, that it should reignite in us a desire to keep on growing in love for one another that it would be increasing and abounding. Let's uh, look at the last point together. Number four, let's pray, be praying for established hearts. This is verse 13. Paul says, So that he might establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. So what's the final thing Paul is praying for? Well, it's that the Thessalonians' hearts would be established. That word means strengthened, immovable, in blameless and holiness. Well, how does that happen? Well, it's as our hearts are established more and more in the gospel, 
Because it's the gospel, after all, that tells us that when, when Jesus died on the cross, it was him who was taking on all our blame for our sin, all our unholiness. And when he died, he paid for that all, so that those who trust in him might be blameless and holy in his sight forever. But knowing that that is our status now before God, if we're trusting in him, we, we then want to live that out, that blamelessness and holiness. We want to, to live out uh, that new status so that we are blameless and holiness in all our conduct. Now, of course, we fail. That's why we keep running back to the cross. But Paul is here praying that their hearts would be established in the gospel, immovable, strengthened. For what purpose? Well, the verse tells us that the reason why that's so important to be established and immovable is because the king is coming back. Do you see in the verse, he talks about the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. So Paul is kind of pleading with God in his prayers that the Thessalonians wouldn't just start well as Christians, but that they would finish well too that they would persevere to the end. So we could be praying for others a little bit like this. We can be praying, please, Lord, would this person be ready for you, Lord Jesus, when you come again in glory with all the saints? Please, would their hearts be established in the gospel and not led astray by sin, the world, and the devil? Please, would they all persevere to the end in blamelessness and holiness? overcoming every sin and temptation that seeks the ruination of their eternal souls. Please would they endure to the end. Please would they conquer and so be found a good and faithful servant on the day when he comes like a thief in the night. O Lord, please establish their hearts. And we can be praying like that for one another. So let's be praying for one another that our hearts would be established in the gospel and endure to the end. Let me sum up what we've seen today. Well, what we've seen shining through this amazing letter of 1 Thessalonians is Paul's passion for people that fueled his prayers. He prayed four big things for the Thessalonians that we can be praying for one another here at Lions now. Firstly, we can be giving thanks to God for others, for his work in them. Secondly, we can be praying that we would value and uh, enjoy encouraging fellowship, building one another up in the gospel. Thirdly, we can be praying that our love for one another would grow and that that uh, love would burst out and reach out to to non-Christians. And we can be praying, lastly, that our hearts would all be established, strengthened, immovable, so that we all persevere to the end. What was our phrase again? I think we've got it on the screen. Because it's as we grow in passion for people that we will grow in our passion for prayer. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for Paul's prayers, that they were fueled by a passion for you and for your people. Please would we share that same passion and so have our prayer lives re-energized and reinvigorated. Please help these big Bible prayers to become our everyday prayers. 
prayers for thanksgiving and fellowship and love and established hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.